Our scripture lesson this morning, we're beginning a series, the seven last words or last phrases. Our scripture lesson is from Luke's gospel, chapter 23, beginning with verse 39. Luke 23, beginning with verse 39. Would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's back. Not everyone's favorite season of the church year has returned for another engagement. Today is the first Sunday in Lent, though opening night was this past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. We had a community service and we had a very moving service here at 630 with many of our brother and sister United Methodist in the community joining with us. Some of you are here and we're grateful for that time together. Lent is a season of 40 days, not including Sundays, leading up to Easter. The 40 days comes from many different places. And in our prayer of thanksgiving for communion in just a short while, you'll see or hear many references to 40 days and how often that is referred to in Scripture. Lent often begins with the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Perhaps Lent would be a little more of a sellout, so to speak, if we talked a little less of self-sacrifice and a little more of self-esteem and self-fulfillment and self-indulgence. How can it be all about me and all about Jesus at the same time? All about me, all about us, sells more tickets, more cars, more houses, more this and that, All about me is good for the economy. All about Jesus is good for the last and the lost and the least. In order to help us adhere to what I hope is an appropriate Lenten focus keeping, I want to look at the seven words of Jesus, the seven last words or last phrases spoken from the cross. That's the center cross, not center stage. Remember who this is. We actually began this past Ash Wednesday with the traditional first word from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Could it be that we, me and you, are one of them? Are we so busy sometimes pleading ignorance that we fail to ask for forgiveness? 
for this first Sunday and then I want us to consider the traditional second word from the cross. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I say traditional first word and traditional second word because these last phrases or sayings of Jesus are from the different gospels. And we don't know exactly what the chronology is. We don't know which words were spoken first and in what particular order. But seven words or seven phrases. Luke is the only gospel to record the conversation that these three men on crosses are having, the three dying men. Mark's gospel says only that those two who were crucified with him taunted him. Who were these two fellow sufferers with Jesus? What had they done to deserve such pain and suffering and shame? Some translations of Scripture refer to them as criminals. Other translations refer to them more specifically as thieves or robbers. Doesn't this particularly horrendous form of capital punishment seem to be a bit extreme for someone who was only stealing? Imprisonment or the loss of a hand? Maybe that would be more in line with the crime, but even that seems excessive and gruesome to most folk in our day and time, difficult. Recent biblical scholarship has helped out a little bit here. Yes, these men were thieves, but the reason they were stealing was to support their revolutionary habits. They were insurrectionists. They were protesters against Rome. They were most likely zealots dedicated to the overthrow of Rome, the empire, the oppressor. In the eyes of Romeland security, these men were not just petty thieves. They were terrorists that could not be tolerated. So execute them in such a way that they would be made public examples and that all those who pass by might say, Whoa, if I ever considered becoming a revolutionary, maybe I ought to think twice. What a terrible way to die. So there they hang, bleeding and dying, two insurrectionists and the Savior, or as the Roman army might have said, three rabble-rousers. Both criminals asked for salvation, one in mocking sarcasm, and the other in a voice from the past, or voices from the past, remember me. The first is heard while the other dies in bitter cynicism, a few feet or maybe a few yards away from the Savior who would have extended mercy. The one who did request mercy is sometimes called the penitent thief. And his penitence is made possible only by his acknowledgement of his guilt and Jesus' innocence. And by his request that Jesus remember him. The verb for to rebuke in verse 40 occurs 12 times in the Gospel of Luke, and usually it's Jesus who did the rebuking. So in a sense, the penitent thief's words fulfill Jesus' instructions to his disciples. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. His rebuke reminds the other criminal that he too will die soon, facing God's judgment. They were getting what they deserved. But Jesus had done nothing wrong. The literal translation here is Jesus had done nothing out of place. They had been judged rightly. 
but Jesus was the righteous one. The penitent thief addresses Jesus by name. His request that Jesus remember him echoes the pleading cries of those in need and those dying in centuries past. You remember interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh was Joseph, one of the most Christ-like figures in the Old Testament, of course. And he was interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. And Joseph predicted that his fellow prisoner would be released in three days. And he requested, remember me when it is well with you. Hannah prayed to God. She had expected, she had wanted a child for so long. Hannah prayed, Lord God, remember me. As did Nehemiah and Job and Jeremiah and the psalmist more than once. The criminal's request is not that Jesus remember him at the end of time, but that Jesus remember him at the end of the time of this particular suffering and pain. Jesus replied, granting the man more than he had asked for today. You'll be with me in paradise. Like the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, all of those mentioned in Jesus' parable, the great banquet, if you remember that story, the criminal would feast with Jesus that day in paradise. Like the wretched Lazarus, who died at the rich man's gate, eating only the scraps off the floor, he would experience the blessings of God's mercy. I don't think any of us would be surprised, would we, that Jesus' mercy would include a condemned prisoner. Jesus had been including the excluded ever since his ministry had launched. Why wouldn't he extend that grace during his final hours? Maybe a brief review using just Luke's gospel. Chapter 4. Jesus remembers one who is demon-possessed. Be silent and come out of him. He remembered Peter's mother-in-law by rebuking, there's that word again, by rebuking the fever that was in her. And she was on her feet and serving. Chapter 5, Jesus remembered a leper, an outcast, by touching him. And the remembering gave the leper a future with hope. Chapter 6, his remembering brought wholeness to a withered member, a deformed hand. And he even healed that guy, even remembered him on the Sabbath day. Chapter 7, a Roman military officer, a centurion, was remembered when his servant was healed. This is not the last time, is it, that Jesus would remember someone who was in the Roman army. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And later in chapter 7, a widow woman remembered by restoring her son to life. It was a funeral procession. You remember that story. She had no husband. She was about to lose her only son. She would have no security, no hope in this world. And Jesus restored hope to her by giving her a future. Still later in chapter 7, an immoral woman whose reputation was known far and wide in the community And her faith empowered her to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offered. The list seems to be endless. Jesus remembered. He remembered frightened friends in a storm-tossed boat. He remembered a 12-year-old girl. He remembered a woman who had been sick for 12 years, who touched the tassel, the hem of his garment. 
and was healed. He remembered old friends like Mary and Martha when Brother Lazarus died. He remembered the holy city of Jerusalem as he looked down with tears and said, How often have I desired to gather you together like a hen gathers her chicks? And you would not let me. Still he remembered. He remembered the wealthy, the influential, the powerful, because as much as anyone, they needed what he had to offer. Do you recall that rut of an IRS agent named Zacchaeus? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, to remember the lost. And those two guys who were dying with Jesus, if there was such a thing as the list of the lost, they were on it. Perhaps they had lost their hearing and they had just thought they heard God say, we need to take up the sword against Rome. Perhaps they had lost hope that God would ever send a military Messiah who would deliver them from oppression and cause them to dance in the street, their bare feet stained with the blood of the Roman army. Have we ever lost direction in life? Have we ever misplaced our priorities? Have we ever given up on God, taking matters into our own hand, acting by our chronological calendars instead of God's Kairos calendar? Have we ever lost hope? Lost hope only to realize that hope was hanging there beside us all the time. Hope on a cross. What an awkward place to look for it. Jesus, remember me. I have a colleague who earlier in her life left another denomination. She heard the pastor preach one Sunday saying that if you waited till the last minute and made a, quote, deathbed confession, God would not hear that. And you would be turned out of the kingdom. And she wanted to shout. It was not in her nature to shout out in the public gathering, but she wanted to shout out, how about that thief on a cross? Will Jesus hear my cry even as the curtain is falling? And yes, I believe his love is that profound and that wide and that deep. But why wait? Not just from the what if kind of perspective. What if the end comes suddenly from a heaven-hell kind of perspective? But why miss out on the joy and the peace that comes from walking with our incarnate God through this world, with knowing His strength and His power and His love? This is the God who came to call us family and friends. The Savior who came that we might have abundant life. Starting now, not someday when. The Old Testament makes a startling claim, I believe it's in Isaiah 49, that our names are written on God's hands. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? How how big are those hands? We are that much love. God desires to be in relationship with us that much. Now consider this as an alternative ending or unfolding of our story for today. The penitent thief says, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus turns his head to look at his own hands and says to the thief, how could I forget you 
Your name is written right here. One other thing about the seven last words, there could have been other last words or other phrases. We don't know for sure. For some reason, they were not recorded. Or maybe it was just loud and tumultuous that day and and nobody heard the word spoken. Could have been some other words. And could it be that after the penitent thief's confession and forgiveness and Jesus' gracious response, could it be that the other thief, the one we call the unrepentant thief, had a change of heart? If you get there before I do, would you look around? You might see him too. Amen. Amen.